This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to episode 90 of the Moranalytics podcast. Coming to you from my Anchor Loop studio here in Bradenton, Florida. Today is Friday, February 1st, 2019. Coming up on today's show, I'll have a chat with Alex Pruitt, NHL writer for Sports Illustrated. We'll talk about his life and his career. Very interesting career right now. Alex has done real good for himself. He comes over from covering the Washington Capitals for the Post, goes to Sports Illustrated in 2015. We talk about all that stuff. We talk a little hockey, of course, that will include the Buffalo Sabres who, you know, I don't want to say that they've taken a nosedive, but things definitely are not looking too bright. This is a team that was on top of the NHL back at the, near the end of November, literally on top of the NHL in the standings. And as I'm talking to you right now, if the playoffs started, they'd be on the outside looking in yet again. We talk about them, talk about a lot of stuff. Alex is a really talented guy. I'll have that interview for you shortly. Before that, though, I'm joined right now by my buddy Joe for another Running With Joe segment. You can follow him on Twitter at Buffalo Wins. You'll find him there probably fighting with somebody from the media or Buffalo sports fans about something. (laughs) Anyway, we're talking a little football, some hockey, a little bit of WWE. Now we're taping this on Thursday. And as we do, I got to ask you, man, how bad... Is the weather getting to you in New York City right now? Because I know our friends and family back up in Buffalo, they've been getting absolutely crushed over the last couple of days. How you doing? And how's the weather up there in New York City? Four degrees Fahrenheit right now. Um, I just got my coffee. Here's the thing. And I, I'm totally, I think I'm really weird about this. I, I am not a regular coffee guy. I don't like coffee that much, but I like iced coffee. And I will drink iced coffee no matter how cold it is. And I have an iced coffee right now next to me while we, while doing this podcast. Is that weird for, for me? Because like I just don't like the, the taste of coffee. But iced coffee I could drink because it, it tastes like a, you know, a drink drink rather than some hot-ass freaking thing that I got to wait five minutes to drink. I think every time I've ever talked to you, you've had a beer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But well, it's early in the morning. So I got to, <laughs> you know, kind of, you know, I don't want to go full blown alcoholic, but yeah, I can't, I can't drink. I could drink espresso because it's quick and it goes down fast and you're like, all right, I'm over it. But like regular coffee, I'm just like, yeah, I can't. So I, it always has to be iced coffee. You guys haven't weird. been getting like Buffalo pummeled with this weather. Have you? Is it just really cold? It's a lot of, you got a lot of snow. 
no, we it snowed like for like ten minutes yesterday, and then it stopped, and it's fine. Uh, it's just been freezing. Like that's it. Like today, it's supposed to be a high of like twelve degrees, and then tom- tomorrow's supposed to be like twenty two. But then next this weekend, it's supposed to be okay. Like it's going to be in the forties, and yeah. uh, so hooray, I guess. Yeah, it hasn't <laughs> been like that back at home, which is I guess a blizzard. You can't can't go anywhere on Twitter without seeing someone posting photos of snow. I'm just like great. Yeah, man, I hear you. I do. It's it's terrible out there. Fortunately, doesn't sound like it's going to last for too long. Hopefully, by the end of the weekend, things will start to get a lot better. Anyway, this isn't a weather podcast, so let's get down to today's business. Tim Graham of The Athletic published what's, in my opinion, another must-read feature story pertaining to free agency, Buffalo, and the challenges that Buffalo often faces in landing their free agent targets. Graham spoke to multiple players and league personnel. And the consensus is that Buffalo isn't really a dream destination for potential free agents. I mean, we pretty much all knew that, but you know, the, just the story itself had such great detail in, in quotes and perspective from a lot of people. And at the end of the day, it just, you realize it often requires overpaying sometimes big time to get a guy to come to Buffalo. Now Bill's GM, Brandon Bean, he doesn't want to do that. Makes for a tough job because he says that he wants to be judicious with his free agent spending. But I mean, what are you going to do? You got to pay these guys if, if you want them to come to Buffalo. He's got to try to identify some guys around the league that maybe the league doesn't think as highly of that he does. You know, guys that he could see being the next Micah Hyde or Jordan Poyer that want to come here that he can give a more team friendly deal, so to speak of. And he doesn't want to have to overpay for the next Charles Clay. You know what I mean? It's a tough spot to be in. What did you think of that story? You know, it was it was a good story. Um, it's not shocking. I mean, we've talked about this a few times, like on the podcast, about how are the Bills going to lure in free agents. And yeah, it is a tall order to get people to come here. I don't think the city itself is as big of like a detriment as maybe some want to make it out to be. Like it doesn't, it probably doesn't help. Because, yes, there are, misconce- there are misconceptions. Like, you and I both know, like, being expats, I don't live there anymore. Like, every anytime I tell anyone in New York, and again, this is New York City. We're not, like, that's not Florida. Like, we're right basically where Buffalo is, parallel kind of to it. You know, you, t- you tell them, like, I'm from Buffalo. They're like, oh, my God, it snows, snow, 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 snow. It's all, that's, that's all you hear. And th- those players probably hear the same, the same stuff when it comes to, like, you know, the weather and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, I think... It's all. It is all about money, which it kind of, in Graham's piece, got alluded to a number numerous times, and I think it's about who you get to play with and the coach. But money's the, the money's the, the whole thing, man. I mean, if if we if we were just going by nightlife or like the city itself or whatever the hell, like there'd be no one playing in Minnesota. There'd be no one playing in Green Bay or Indianapolis. Like you know, there. It's all about it's all about money and where you who you're playing with. And I think coaching too. Well, I mean, perception does count. It means a lot as far as I'm concerned. Not saying it's necessarily the end all be all by any means, because I do think ultimately it's about money and winning. But perception of this, the, the city, the town, Western New York, Buffalo, it does mean a lot. Now, me and you are from Buffalo. We know what it's like, but not everyone does. And from the outside, it's easy to say that, you know, there's not a lot to do in Buffalo. The weather sucks. It's it's freezing in the winter. So much snow, like, you know, blizzards, like literally a blizzard going on right now. 
the weather just could get out of hand and, and that that's not fun to live in. And then you got this perception, which I personally think is a misperception, but it's easy for people, you know, free agents around the league to hear about Buffalo and conclude that, well, there's not a lot to do. There's not a big time nightlife in there. You know what I mean? I think those factors are very minute though. I really do. I think it's all about, look again, it goes, it's, it's about winning players you play with and money. Those are the three main things because look, and Graham alluded to this in the story. You don't, you don't gotta be, you don't have to live in Buffalo year round. You can live. It's, it's basically, you have to live there from like July to January. That's five months. Okay. And afterwards you can go to New York city. You can go to Bermuda. You can go to Florida, Texas, wherever. You know, I, I don't I, I just don't think it's as big as like this. I think like with the 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 optics of like the type of family life or the city itself or whatever, I, you know, it's maybe it's a little bit of a factor. But I think it just it boils back down to money and where you're going to go when it comes to like the culture or I hate using the word culture, but like the win losses there. It is tough, as you mentioned, like the bills have been pathetic for like the last 18 years. OK, they're they're like Siberia of the NFL. You know, they are. I think a lot of it has to do with because of their on the field performance. No one's no one's yelling about Green Bay. Like, oh, my God, how does Green Bay recruit people? They they, they don't have that problem as of right now because they've been good since like 1992. You know what I mean? Since they have Farvin Rogers, you know, I don't think, you know, the Colts have been, you know, they've had Peyton, they've had the back to back Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck era. That is a bigger factor than worrying about the damn snow, okay? And there are probably some, you know, positives that Buffalo has over some other cities. Like, yeah, it's probably like if you have a family, it's probably a good spot because, hey, it's cheap. It's, you know, it's it's a cheap place. You can live in the suburbs and, you know, you don't have traffic to deal with maybe. But, uh, yeah, look, they have to they, – they are behind the eight ball probably in the recruiting efforts. But I don't think it's as big on the weather as – it could be made out to be, or like the city itself. I think it's all about the culture, the win loss record. And again, money talks and we have an owner who, in my opinion, he will spend and he will front load contracts and give you a huge signing bonus. Cause he's not going to care. And then, you know, with Bean, yeah, Bean can say, I don't want to overpay, but like, Jesus, like, come on, what's he going to say? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, I want to overpay. I can't wait to overpay. We're going to open the vaults. <laughs> that, you know, true. Say that. But I and mean, he, they did a lot of work to get out of salary cap jail to get it in the position that they're in. And I think that his sentiment is he doesn't want to go out handing out a bunch of bad contracts over the next one to two years so that in 2021, they're right back in the same boat where they're kind of cleaning house to get back well, down. Well, that, that, that contract thing's a little misguided, I think. He did a lot of that himself, and he wanted to get rid of guys he hated, and he was he was willing to kill the cap to get rid of guys he didn't like. They probably will have some issues. I'm not saying they won't, but I think the issues, again, and I'm being, you know, beating a dead horse, I think it starts with the the win-loss record of them and and that's the big one. I think that's that's the big one. That's yeah. more that's that's more so than you gotta you gotta you know the snow and the weather. Like, come on, you're a freaking millionaire, dude. I could go charter a damn jet and go to freaking Texas, you know, if I'm sick of the freaking snow, if I'm making ten million dollars a year. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I don't think weather is that big of an issue, not as much as some people think it is. And I don't think the nightlife or perceived lack of nightlife and things to do around Buffalo and Western New York is that big of an issue either. To me, first and foremost, it's about winning. When you win, you don't have to overpay as much because you're contending for a championship. Some players, many players, they're in it to, to win rings. That's what they're there for. 
And when you win, you don't have to overpay as much. But when you're a perennial loser, which let's face it, minus 2018, or I'm sorry, 2017, that's what the Bills have been for the last 18 years, not making the playoffs during any of those years. When you're a perennial loser, if you want good free agents to come here, unless no one else wants you, you're going to have to overpay. Yeah. And they've been doing that forever. I mean, it's this isn't this isn't breaking news as far as I'm concerned. Like they did that with Mario, which Tim, which Graham alluded to in the story. They've done this for a long time. This is kind of how it is. And I always look at this. Look, it's not it's not my money. I, I don't really, you know, if you want to get, you have to get good players here. Fine. Well, I don't want to deep dive in the free agency right now. We got plenty of weeks to do that, and we absolutely will before free agency starts. I think it's around March 13th. But I just want to use one quick example here. We both know that the Bills need a wide receiver. Let's take the two perceived top free agent wide receivers right now. Golden take Tyrell Williams. They're Anyway, they're perceived as the top two guys out there. If the Bills want one of them, they're not going to come on the cheap. They're probably going to have to overpay to get them. A guy like Golden Tate, perfect example. He's 31 years old. He wants to win. In fact, he said that after the season with Philly. He wants to win. So if you're Golden Tate and the money's even close, are you going to go play in Buffalo with Josh Allen? Or are you going to go to Indianapolis and play with Andrew Andrew Luck, where they're a playoff team already, and they're probably one or two players away from making a nice Super Bowl run next year. Very realistic possibility. And the Colts have all the cap room in the world. So if the money's similar in your Golden Tate, where are you going? Or Tyrell Williams. Again, he's I don't think he's a number one receiver, but he's got that potential. And I'm sure a lot of teams are going to think that. So are you going to go to Buffalo? Or if you're Tyrell Williams in the Houston Texans, who got plenty of cap money, want you to go play with Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins, where are you going? Point being is that when you don't win, like Buffalo has it, and you want a free agent, you're going to have to overpay big time. Yeah, but here's the thing. I don't care if they'd have to do that. It's not my money. Like, do that. Okay, like it's and that's the one of the most lies like in the NFL is like the salary cap. And again, I, I alluded to this before being got rid of guys because he hated them, did not want them on this team. And then he was like, screw the cap. I don't care if we have all this dead money. Like, I want to get rid of these guys. Okay, because they weren't his guys. But you can backload deals. You can move money into the next into the next contract cycle or next cap year. It's not that teams do that constantly. And the cap is always always going up. Okay. So I'm not worried about that. Like if you got to overpay to get some uh, one or two wide receivers, do it. It's not my fuck. It's not my fucking money, man. Like I, I just, I, that's it. That, that's what you have to do. And you're right. Would I, if the money's equal, would I rather play with Andrew Luck? Yeah. Like, of course I would. You know what I mean? It's Andrew Luck. I would totally rather go there. I don't agree with, with that. Josh I don't agree with you when it comes to that philosophy, but not what, your money. Cap? Not, maybe, I don't agree maybe, with that. This isn't baseball. Have, it's different. No, it's not. Naming naming teams that have had like, oh my god, they've 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 competed for like years, they've won championships, and then they had to purge the whole roster because they win the salary cap hell. Not many. Most teams are good at managing the cap. Clearly, the Bills weren't. But what do you mean? But because they're good at that, because the cap keeps going up, and they could bullshit the money. The money. This is all fake money. When you give Derek Dockery fifty million dollars, he's not getting fifty million dollars. It's phony money. Like I, I have this argument with everyone on Twitter and it's annoying. And then the press takes it and goes, oh, we got to worry about the cap situation. What are we going to do? No. OK, because there's this is not like 1999 when the bills had to like do a cap purge and cut everyone. 
that shit doesn't happen anymore. Well, it comes I'm with sorry, it, it does. It comes with ramifications. No, you go Name out, one. you go out. Let's just say they go out and go nuts this this spring. Let's just say they do, and right. they sign a great center, a tackle, wide receiver. Or they spend all this money. Guess what? What are you going to do in two years when Tre'Davious White's going to get paid, or Josh Allen's going to get paid, or Tremaine Edmonds is going to get paid? You can't keep all these guys okay. and give out all these contracts now. Tremaine Edwards is not getting paid for another four years. Trey White's the only guy that has to get paid, but you're not, you can move salary around, dude. That's what I'm, I'm trying to tell you. You can move salary around. Like this whole, this whole death nail situation of what are we going to do about the cap? Like I've, I've argued with this with people forever and it's not the way, like name me teams who have, comp- don't, you, you, I don't think you could just say, well, all these teams are so smart with the cap. No, it's just like that's how the NFL has made it to where the ca- they don't go into salary cap jail as much as other teams want to do it. The Bills went into salary cap jail, and I use that in quotes because they got rid of guys they didn't like. They could have kept Cordy Glenn and not gone into like seven million in dead cap by trading him. They decided to do that. Like they decided to add to the cap by getting rid of guys because they didn't like them. Oh, okay, I- and. And you could you could bank again again Pat you can you can front load you can back load deals and do it later like Tyrod Taylor was never a ninety million dollar quarterback he was a guy that made like seven eight million a year because they finagled that that contract into having him take weird like I don't different deals with that like capmatics or you know about that that's how the cap works I don't know I just I just don't agree with this death nil. Like, we got to worry about painting this guy down well, the road. Well, I'm not saying like, every single guy, but if you get a little too free with the money, it does come back and bite you. I mean, you look at right now, you know, the bills, I don't know what, they're somewhere around, I think, I want to say around $80 million, and I know that's going to grow. They're going to cut clay. There's going to be moves to be made. But then you look at the bottom of the league, bro. I mean, you got, yes, yeah, sure, Indy, New York, um, Buffalo, Cleveland, are, they're right up to the top, all right? They can do whatever they want to do next month but or in March. Look at Philadelphia, Jacksonville, Minnesota, Tampa, Pittsburgh, Carolina, the Saints, they all got, they range from being over the cap right now to having less than 10 million. Those are guys right now that can't go out and they ain't going to be able to do shit in free agency. The Steelers, what are they going to do with under 8 million? Maybe they'll restructure a couple deals, but then again, you're just robbing Peter to pay Paul. Eventually, if you're irresponsible with how you spend, it's going to come back and bite you. Look at the Jacksonville Jaguars. They spent all that money, all those big contracts on defense. They underachieved. They need a quarterback bad. And as of right now, they're ten million dollars over the salary cap. It does come back and get you eventually. Well, they can, like you said, they can restructure deals and get rid of guys. I'm just saying you could. There's ways to do get to to do that. And again, the Jags have talent, though. They had to pay guys. Okay, like that's that's what I'm saying. Like I don't know. I just I just. I I just don't get wrapped up in that cap stuff. I agree I with don't. you. To I, think, a point. I think it's I think I think the Bills have used it the last two the last year and a half a little bit too much to my liking. And I think people have bought into it. But the fact remains that like, they got rid of guys to get because they just didn't like them and they were like screw the cap we'll get killed this year. But I don't like this guy. Get rid of him. I think they need so, to spend money. I just I think they need to be a little bit careful about just throwing money around. Freely with a bunch it, of guys that they might depends. cut in two years. Like I'm not giving it Tyrell depends. Williams thirteen, fourteen million dollars a year because he's the number two but wide again, receiver in free agency. But Pat, it depends how the the contract is where squared out. Look, if you give if you give like let's just say you give Golden Tate a four year forty million dollar deal, we'll just say okay, I, you know I just made that up. Right. You can give him twenty million this year because you're ninety million under the cap. And then afterwards, it's it goes down to like six million, five million. That it's it, you can do that in the NFL. That's 
and I, and it, I don't you think do, people, but it, it brings think... dead cap money into effect too, though. I mean, you get rid of the guy after two well, years, you guarantee him twenty million. You're uh, you know, you're you're gonna lose dead money against the cap for two years after you cut him. I don't, but I think if you paid it up, I don't know. You should you should ask that capologist guy, on, on, <laughs> whatever his name is. Get him on the show. We can ask him. But but I'm telling you, like there's there's things I'm saying like people can do that where like Tyrod Taylor, like when they cut, they got rid of him or traded like. If they had, remember when he signed that ninety million dollar contract, they could have got out of it every year without getting hurt. Yeah, like that's you can do that. Yeah, and, that's, and I'm not saying you could do that for every player, but like, yeah, I, listen, I hear what you're saying. I don't think they should be passive in free agency. I don't think they should be paranoid of the cap. I think they're going to be reasonably aggressive. They're going to go after players. I just don't think that they're looking to get back into salary cap trouble within the next couple of years. But regardless, this is a conversation. That is definitely worth picking up. Well, there's plenty of weeks to come before free agency, and we're definitely going to hit on it a lot. But before that, I'll tell you what, let's do this. Let me get to my interview with Alex Pruitt from Sports Illustrated. And then after that, we'll come back and we'll continue with some more Running With Joe. All right, my guest today covers the NHL for Sports Illustrated, where he's been since 2015. Previously to that, he covered the Caps for the Washington Post. Alex Pruitt is my guest. What's going on, Alex? How you doing? What's up? Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm glad to have you on. You know, you wrote a great story about Jack Eichel that I definitely want to discuss. But before we get to that, I kind of want to keep my traditional format that I have with sports media guests. And that's kind of going back to the beginning and giving fans a chance to know you a little bit beyond just your current job and the work you do. So let's go back to that beginning. Now, you were born in Manhattan, but raised in Northern Virginia. How did that happen? Oh, geez, we're going way back. Uh, so my parents met, and then they, um, yeah, so they were they were living in New York at the time. Uh, my dad's a theater director. My mother uh, has worked in, like, nonprofit international health for a while. So I think at the time she's working for the UN, or maybe she moved on to another job. But uh, when I was five, they moved down to Northern Virginia, a little town called Falls Church. Um which is where I was raised, where I went to high school, and then uh, where I started writing. Um, got a job for a little local weekly, little tabloid-style uh, paper called the Falls Church News Press. And um, ironically enough, my first sports editor there, a guy named Mike Hume, we later became colleagues at The Post. Um, he worked at ESPN for a little while before that, too. So great connections, and um, they had no hes- hesitation about giving a pretty eager high schooler a bunch of bunch of room to go cover high school sports and get a couple clips on his resume, which certainly helped. I'll forever be grateful for that. Now, as a child, I'm assuming that you grew up loving sports. From what you can remember, who were a few of your favorite teams and athletes as a child? Oh, geez, I was all over the map. Um, I think because, like, I don't, I didn't have a lot of memories from when I lived in New York, but because I always knew that I came from New York, that I was kind of attached to Yankees. Um, played a lot of baseball when I was younger and for a year in college too. Um, my dad's from Tennessee, so I was a Grizzlies fan and University of Tennessee fan. But um, looking back on it, I pretty much shed myself of a lot of allegiances from an early age. I don't know if that was quite because I had this like career in mind, but um, people always assumed that, that I was like this objective guy from an early age, but, uh, or at least I was like striving towards that. But I think I just kind of got disinterested with the whole idea of team fandom. Um, it was, you know, more just following leagues, you know, going to games, um, either Nats games. I lived near Nats park for a little bit once, once I was out of college or, um, you know, there are a few minor league baseball teams in the area. So, um, 
or just, you know, playing youth basketball, playing youth baseball, little league and um, coaching eventually. So I was always around sports um, and then just kind of paying attention to leagues from afar, but never, I never really had those, those diehard bones in my body. Complete unbiased. You really do sound like a true sports journalist, even as a kid. <laughs> I know, do- seriously. I mean, like, yeah, my mom, like she died. Maybe this is the case. With a lot of people, but they dug up, she dug up one of those like old, you know, this is what I want to be when I grow up kindergarten things that I did. And it, said that I want to be a writer, um, which I have no recollection of doing. And I have no recollection of ever thinking about doing that between the ages of like six and 15. Um, but then my mom told me to get my ass off the couch one day and go do something and suggested I go walk into the local newspaper office. So I owe a, owe a good deal, a lot to her, not the least of which is bringing me into this world. Sure. Absolutely. So you, you mentioned baseball, you were a pretty good baseball player. I was a baseball player. <laughs> <laughs> I was a baseball player. Um, yeah, no, I, I played at, George Mason High School, which is, I mean, small, my graduating class was 160. We had to travel an hour, two hours for every district game because there were no other schools of similar size in the area where we were. And um, ended up going to Tufts University, which is a D3 school, and played on the JV team there. So I was like pretty pretty low-level baseball player. Um, and then after, after freshman year, I stopped playing. So um, didn't make it very far. <laughs> now, you mentioned Tufts University for college. I got to be completely honest with you. Until I did my homework here, I had no idea about Tufts University or that it was in Massachusetts. I always ask my sports media guests this same question because I find it interesting and there's such a wide variety of answers. Why did you choose to go there? And were there other schools that you were considering going to or that you wanted to go to? I went there almost exclusively to play, exclusively to play baseball. Um, that was my singular mindset at that time. My dad was driving me all over these showcases up and down the East Coast and just trying to get noticed and trying to get you know, some sort of D3. Reckon, you, know, you don't get scholarships, but um, you know, at least assurances from a team that they would want to have me on board. Um, I think by the end of it, I was pretty much between, uh, at least for playing baseball, it was tough. Swarthmore, I think, was on the list, and Vassar, maybe. Um, seriously, I was just kind of casting out uh, fishing lines to every school I could, and you know, ones that were pretty decent academically too. Um, and then the in-state schools like William and Mary and, and UVA. But um, I, I think I ultimately chose Tufts. I had, Tufts. I had a really fun time there on my on my recruiting visit. Um, it was this happened to be the same day as uh, this like big spring bash that they have, and the Dropkick Murphys were playing, so I got to hang out with the baseball team and. Um, that was enticing enough, but, uh, I am, I'm so glad that I went there for every other reason aside from playing baseball. Um, you know, not the least of which is I think they're the smallest school in the country with the daily paper. Um, and there's absolutely no faculty oversight either, which is presents its own unique challenges, but, um, it was a good place to, to, uh, learn and grow with, um, fellow classmates there in the newsroom and, um, just a lot of other activities I ended up getting myself into. So uh, it turned out to be the right choice, even though I quit baseball after the first year. Was the culture different for you going from Northern Virginia to Massachusetts for college? Was it a, kind of a culture shock for you at all? No, nah, they were both pretty white. <laughs> all right. Um, when you got to school, did you know that journalism was definitely something that you wanted to do? I mean, you mentioned, you know, being a kid and stuff like that, but what, did you, were you pretty much set when you got into college that, hey, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to work towards doing. That's a good question. I don't, <laughs> I think the truth, honest answer is I don't remember. Um, after my freshman year, uh, I got an internship on the USA Today copy desk doing our like night web producing desk, basically making like headlines and slideshows from 7 p.m. to 2 a.m. Um, and the only reason I got that was because this 
uh, I think like a dad, a friend, a friend's dad worked there or friend's dad worked at some subsidiary or something. And he had an end. So I like a lot of connections that conspired to get me in the door. Um, and then even after that, I wasn't necessarily sure that it's what I wanted to pursue. Um, I didn't really have any options for the next summer and I was kind of a little bit resigned to going back and, um, you know, just pub- basically just publishing slideshows and working headlines and stuff like that. And, um, but then I really lucked into this program called the sports journalism Institute. Um, it's for women and minorities and, um, aspiring women and minorities in sports media. And, um, the, I have to give out the yeah, absolute credit to, to them and that program and, um, people who run it like Greg Lee, uh, who I think is at the athletic in DC now and Sandy Rosenbush, right. Rosa Bush and Leon Carter at ESPN. Um, it's such a tremendous program for taking, people in that position. And, um, you know, you go through like a 10 day boot camp, and then they put you at internships. And I think I was on a wait list, actually. Um, I don't think I even got in in the first place. And then they called and said a spot opened up and I wound up getting an internship at, at ESPN on the copy desk to that. And, and it was pretty much at that point that I, I kind of set my sights on it. And, you know, I was starting to get a little bit of clips here and there and do a little bit of freelance work for other ESPN subsidiaries. And um, I think it was after that I kind of realized, okay, like you, you have your foot in the door, like you should go for it. Yeah. Now you had a boatload of interesting gigs and internships while you were in college. I'm not going to hit on all those because we'd be there all day, but you spent some time. Yeah, you, no one you, cares. Yeah, yeah well, I, I, I care. I think it's interesting. You know, ESPN, like you were a page two blogger, like you said, at the Boston Globe you were at for a while, USA Today, you did some work with them. How much of those experiences go on to help and benefit you going forward? Oh, huge, huge. Um, I'm not where I am without those. I don't know where I am, maybe doing something else. Um, but it was, it was very incremental. I felt like I I climbed the ladder, maybe in a traditional sense where you, you know, you do your internships and you pay your dues and then you go work and on a smaller beat and then you work up the ladder and you cover a pro beat and move on to cover features, whatever it may be. Um, and that's not necessarily the, the path that I would suggest for everyone. And it's not necessarily the best path, but, um, it, it worked for me. Uh, I was fortunate enough to, you know, get into SJI. And then through that, I was able to get internship in the Star Tribune in Minneapolis next summer. And then because of that, I was, had been doing some, you know, stringing, basically taking down high school agate scores at night for the globe, but I knew people there. And, um, Greg Lee, the guy I mentioned from SJI worked there at the time, I believe. So I've got an internship there and, um, just kind of one thing after another kind of fell into my lap. Um, I mean, even the, the job with the post, like I was prepared to go have another internship after I graduated and I didn't really want to go because um, I was dating my then girlfriend at the time and didn't want to do long distance and I was moving to a place that I was a little bit wary about going and um, and then all of a sudden this post job opens up and I get a call about that and um, so I think if you were if you were to chart <laughs> you're really to chart my career it's kind of one after another um, doors just happen to open at the exact right time for me so I, I do feel very fortunate about that now you got that job at the Washington Post 2012. You initially didn't cover hockey, though. You were covering Maryland, the University of Maryland football and hoops, right? Yeah, that's right. How yeah, was that experience? Uh, good, good. Um, immersive. I mean, when you're covering two sports, it is kind of like two full-time beats. Um, so, you know, they're in College Park every day. Some days you're going to football practice in the afternoon and the basketball game at night or um, or vice versa, whatever it may be. So, um, you know, a lot, a lot of hours. And then the, the, then the recruiting side of it is a different piece unto itself. I and mean, that's a whole, obviously, cottage industry of, of its own reporters and um, gumshoe detectives and people calling high school coaches and the high school kids themselves and just trying to get every little scoop. So um, I may have wrapped myself in that, up in that a little bit more than I should have. And 
uh, didn't focus as much big picture, but, um, I mean, it was a, it was a pivotal time. Like I think the last, the second year I was there was the year they were moving to the big 10. So I wound up being a big 10 writer without covering any actually big 10 games, but, um, just kind of see that transition unfold and then just learn, you know, how to report something like that, how to call board of regents, how to file FOIA requests because you're looking for contracts. Um, you know, really, I think laid the baseline for, for my job. Now you cover football and hoops for the university of Maryland. You grew up playing baseball. I didn't hear anything about hockey. How did you end up covering the Washington capitals? I think that I read and correct me if I'm wrong here, that prior to that point, you had only seen one NHL game live back when you were a little kid. Is that true? Yeah, I got to stop admitting that to people. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't even remember when. It must have been like eight or nine. I think it was like a preseason game that my, I don't know, like baseball team, basketball team, or someone, soccer team maybe went to. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my buddies who I'm still friends with caught a puck. That's about all I remember from the game. <laughs> um, but then one day I I was yeah covering um, colleges, and my boss, Matt Vita at the time, who's still the sports editor at the Post, called me in, and he said, you're going to cover the Caps now. And um, I think, can I curse on this? Yeah, go ahead. Have it. Okay. All right. So my, my exact, my exact response was, I don't know shit about hockey, Matt. Um, and he was like, I'll, he's like, you'll figure it out. Um, and that's, I think the beauty of a beat like that and a place like the post is they're willing to put people in new positions like that and let you learn on the job. Um, and hockey, I think is a, is a good beat. Uh, it's a good first professional beat for someone like myself who didn't have a lot of experience in those areas and, you know, covering a locker room and being on the road all the time. And, um, kind of writing the daily rhythms of, you know, gamers and notebooks and breaking news and, um, learning how to manage an entire organization is very different than colleges in that way. Um, obviously cause they're, you know, getting paid and, um, they're professionals and it's, you know, it's their job. So, um, I think there's a lot, maybe a lot more freedom, at least compared to it was in Maryland where, you know, you couldn't go in the locker room for instance, after games and they would bring you out like two to three players and put them on a podium. And that was your interview. But, um, you know, learning to, be in a room and work the room and develop sources and search out angles and, um, and all that, everything that's just baked into uh, the normal, uh, rhythms of a beat. So, um, yeah, I, I, I basically just hunkered down. Fortunately, Matt told me that in, I think like May or something, um, uh, April or May, cause my first day was the first day that the new GM and head coach were introduced, um, which was fortunate unto itself because I didn't, wasn't coming in a situation where, uh, everyone else had a, every other reporter had a leg up on the on the organization and the management. Um, so I basically just spent the entire summer cramming, you know, watched a lot of games, tried to call as many agents as I could, tried to call as many people as I could, developed a lot of a lot of story ideas, and tried to hit the ground running. Because I, I mean, if I had gotten plopped into that in like September or something, I I might have died. <laughs> I'm with Alex Pruitt of Sports Illustrated. Obviously, you did a good job covering the Washington Capitals in 2015. You end up taking a job covering the entire NHL for Sports Illustrated. Got to ask you, how did that end up coming about? Yeah, again, like just pretty lucky. I think like they they happen to have an opening, and um, Chris Stone, fellow Tufts grad, who's uh, he runs SI now. He uh, he called me up and um, brought me up to the New York offices and asked if I'd be interested. And had to think about it. It was probably the hardest decision I've ever had to make. It took way too long to decide and. Um, but you know, I'd grown up getting SI in the mailbox, like a lot of people, and it was always a dream. And, um, especially once I put my mind to that, I wanted to do sports writing for a living. Um, so it was, it was kind of impossible to pass up, you know, regardless of what I was going to be doing once I got my foot in the door, just the fact that I was there, um, was meaningful unto itself. So that was, that was what, four years, three and a half years ago, I guess, 
Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to have a couple people from SI on this podcast before. I've had Jenny Frentis on. I'm a big Jenny fan. I love her. Also had Jonathan Jones on. Charlotte Wilder is going to be on next week after the Super Bowl. I mean, when you're a kid growing up and wanting to be a sports writer, Sports Illustrated seems like a, a dream job. It certainly was for me when I was a kid growing up. It's, it's just such a powerhouse publication. I mean, it's one of those few things, a mainstay in the sports world where if you name, if you say the word Sports Illustrated, everyone knows exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, if I was a nut, like if I was a beat writer, I would hate me because like I I come in and I just kind of drop that name and or drop the brand or and then you know I get access and like that's that's kind of unfair to people who are yeah. <laughs> sitting there you know toiling every day and like putting in the time and all of a sudden this like asshole shows up and you know <laughs> yeah. goes to lunch with the goes to lunch with Jack Eichel or whatever but um I, I guess that's I guess that's what it is so uh, yeah no it's um, I don't really know how to answer that I mean it's, yeah it's it's a wonderful place to work. They're extremely supportive. Um, I love it because of the freedom that I get to, to float outside the bounds of my beat that if I want to go pursue, you know, an NFL story, if I want to go pursue a, where are they now story or a true crime story? Um, you know, we have the latitude and the freedom and, and not only that, but the encouragement to go do that. What was the adjustment like for you going from covering the Washington Capitals, you know, the beat for one team for a newspaper to pretty much covering the entire league for sports illustrated. And like you said, having the ability to pursue other types of stories as well. Yeah, totally different rhythms. I mean, it's so defined when you're on the beat, um, and it's it's really defined in like 24 to 72 hour chunks. Like you're really not maybe once or twice a year you're working on something that's going to take you a week or two, but um, by and large you're flipping around stuff so fast. You go to the rink, you write your you know morning skate blog post, and um, then you come back to the rink and you write your gamer, and then you write your follow the next day, and you go to practice, and like on and on it repeats for 82 games, or I think in my case, I wound up being 104 between preseason, regular season, and playoffs that year, because they made wow. it the second round, yeah. so um, yeah, it was, a, it was a grind, right, and then um, covering the league is a grind in a different way, I think that you just have to kind of be constantly aware of what's going on, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm in a little bit of a luxurious position, I would say, because, you know, I don't have to do the day-to-day monitoring and I'm not in a position where I'm expected to break news and develop sources in that way and be constantly on the grid. Like my phone's not buzzing at 2 AM with a guy saying like this minor leaguers getting traded, um, which isn't, you know, a nice, <laughs> nice little bit of a break to have, I guess. But um, yeah, it's, at the same time, you're always looking for, for fresh angles and um, I'm constantly, you know, racking my brain to figure out like, all right, how can I write about this person in a fresh way? Or if I have to do a profile on this guy who's been written about 50 times, like what is the the one nugget that I'm going to get that's going to be different than other people? Let me ask you this. This is something I like to ask all my sports media guests as well. Who would you consider the toughest athlete that you ever had to deal with in covering? Not necessarily like the biggest asshole or the biggest jerk, the worst person, anything like that. I'm just saying the person who was most difficult, made your life the most difficult to get that kind of story you wanted or the quote that you wanted. Do you have one that you could think of? I mean, they're just, I mean, they're guys in general, I guess, who are, you can either describe them as surly or terse or um, short-winded and they just have no desire to talk to you. And I totally understand that. Like, I, I don't know if I would ever get adjusted to a guy coming up to me every day at my office and asking me questions about how I was doing and my performance. And, um, and I'm sure he's sitting there thinking like, this guy doesn't know, you know, even 5% of what's going on around here, which is definitely the case in right. the hockey locker room in my, in my opinion. Um, man, toughest to deal with. That's a good question. I had, 
I think the, the only time I've had a, a guy slide into my DMs to bitch about something was in when, when I was covering Maryland. Um, and I don't need to give the guy's name, but there was uh, a guy who had transferred in um, a quarterback, and he, you know, I had wrote something about how he threw like a wobbly pass in a like a training camp scrimmage or something, like the least consequential thing. Um, and he showed my DMs and uh, <laughs> basically tried to like rip me for it and call me out for it. And um, it was totally accurate. Like he threw a bad pass. He wasn't great. Right. Um, so, I mean, you know, th- little things like that or, you know, guys shoot, telling me to fuck off when I text them about the fact that they're transferring. Um, but I mean, by and large, like since I've started covering hockey, I found that a lot of them are pretty well aware, especially in the States of where they stand in the, the pecking order, the media pecking order. Um, and they understand that it's n- not national news every time they open their mouth at all by any stretch. Um, so I think that's, that's led to a little more openness, um, a little more candidness and, and definitely a little bit more accessibility. Um, I mean, there's not these massive media scrums around guys like you can go and have a one-on-one with Sidney Crosby after a scrum if you need for a few minutes. And, you know, maybe that's the case in other sports. I'm, I haven't been around them as much, but um, I have by and large found the, the access and kind of the quality of interviews to not be a huge problem. Now you mentioned a couple of guys here and there might've slid into your DMS to bitch about you. Let me ask you this. Okay. On a public platform, what's your stance towards social media, like particularly Twitter, because there's kind of a balance between it being beneficial because of the career that you're in in today's world. Obviously Twitter is very important for, for sports writers. I mean, that goes without saying don't need to even explain why you get your stuff out there right away, but it's also a detriment because it does attract the worst of the worst at times. You know, those trolls that just, they got nothing better to do than to try to say something terrible to you to try to, you know, elicit in a response from you. You know what I mean? That balance, what's your stance towards Twitter and social sure. media? Well, here, here's my caveat off the, off the jump. I'm a half white male. I'm not getting the worst of the worst of the worst. Like there's a lot of people who are getting a lot of bullshit um, on social media just for, for being themselves and for standing up for right things. And um, I, I don't, I don't really experience that. And I think it'd be kind of phony of me to sit here and pretend that I, I do like I, I write mostly <laughs> like harmless profiles and stuff that aren't getting people super riled up all the time. And I'm not getting, you know, people calling telling me I should, you know, die or go do whatever, like really awful stuff that happens on an extremely daily basis on that website. Um, I would, I would rather not have to deal with it at all. Uh, personally, um, I think it wastes a lot of my time. I'm trying to dial it back. Um, I feel like most of what I find on there is readily available on the websites I visit anyway. Um, I usually use it anyway as like a, a link aggregator as a way to read stories that I'm interested in and follow people that I'm interested in. Um, but you're right. I mean, the, the way the discourse is done, it's, it's gone. It's, um, I feel like it's at least in my mental health benefit to, um, to just log off. <laughs> I hear you, man. Unfortunately, too many sports writers that I've talked to out there don't have that same mentality. They get drawn into the battles that come with Twitter with people who have maybe 12 followers and talking about your mom just to get you going. You know what I mean? And you're going back and forth to them. I just, I'll never understand that. I've had some really good sports media guests on. And I always ask them, I'm like, why do you lower yourself? Or why do you even bother getting involved in these petty arguments with people who are just trying to do that on purpose to get under your skin? You know what I mean? Yeah. 
I, I don't, I don't know that he, I don't know why they do that either, but, um, I'm not, I'm not about to not deny them that impulse. I'm sure that feels pretty good to tell a guy to go fuck himself. <laughs> exactly. All right. Let's talk about something a little more fun here. Let's talk Sabres for a couple seconds. You wrote at the end of last year, last December, a fantastic feature story on Sabres franchise center, Jack Eichel. Really good stuff. In fact, it's part of what made me want to reach out to you initially to have you on this podcast. It went, that story, it went beyond just hockey. Tell fans who haven't seen it, and I'll post a link to the story in the show notes, by the way. Tell them a little bit about the story and some of the stuff that you learned from it by uh, interviewing Jack and doing the story. Yeah, sure. Um, this is probably the second or third time I'd sat down with Jack. Um, and this was like by far the best he's ever been interview wise. Um, you know, in the past he'd, he might roll his eyes at a question or, um, you know, just kind of give a short answer if he wasn't really feeling it that Mm -hmm. day. And, um, I think he would admit that too, that, um, you know, even on the ice, his, his body language and kind of the way, or, you know, behind the scenes, the way he carried himself was, um, not up to the standards of what he, you know, ultimately became as the captain and the leader. And as you said, the future of the team. So, um, uh, it was, it struck me, well, two things kind of struck me from that process was one, how, how singularly dedicated he was to getting to that point. Um, that point meaning being an NHL player, um, from like an absurdly early age. And I mean, the way his parents tell it, it was, it was not them. It was entirely Jack, like wanting to go and do pull-ups and bench press in the basement when he was like 12 years old before school or, um, my favorite thing he told me was that he, he he had a picture collage on his phone, like the background of his, maybe his iPhone touch or his iPhone or something when he was a teenager was a collage of all the guys who were ranked higher than him, um, heading into his, or in his draft class. So it was, you know, guys like McDavid, for instance, um, just popping up on his phone. So every time he looked at his phone, he would be motivated to be better than them. Or, um, I think when he woke up, his alarm said, do you want to make the NHL today? Or what are you doing to make the NHL today? So like, this was this was his goal. Um, he didn't really seem to focus on a heck of a lot else for his life and, uh, obviously made it and is going to have a wonderful career out of it. And, um, the second thing that struck me was how, uh, I guess integrated and, um, and it maybe indebted is probably not the right word, but, um, obligated he feels to the city of Buffalo, um, integrated with an obligate obligation. He feels to the city of Buffalo to, to win and to help the Sabres get, to where he wants them to go. Um, I think he does see some similarities between Buffalonians and, and folks in the area. He grew up in, in North Chelmsford outside Boston, um, you know, in terms of attitude, in terms of work ethic, in terms of dedication to their sports teams. And um, just the passion that he showed when we were having lunch, we were sitting um, at this restaurant that's attached to the, to the rink there. And it kind of overlooks this little plaza. There's like a tram station and a Tim Hortons and a Marriott. And um, he was just, his mind kind of watered and he this ended up being the lead to the story that he's picturing this area. Like it's never been like he was watching, you know, every playoffs he's watching these overhead shots of like Nashville and Winnipeg and the streets are choked with fans and you can't move and there's concerts and it's the crowd, the city's going wild because they've never, the team's never gotten to that point before. And I think that's what he envisions um, in Buffalo. Now, how long is it going to take there, take to get there? Probably not this year. Um, but they're certainly on a better path than they've ever been since he got there. How important is it for Jack Eichel for the team to make sure that they get Jeff Skinner resigned to a long-term deal? He's proven that he's a guy talented enough to play with Jack, which has kind of been an issue through his first few seasons. 
without slowing him down. You know what I mean? He already has, I think, 31 goals on the season so far as we tape this. Yeah, I mean, selfishly, Jeff Skinner for me is like top five favorite player to watch in the league. I, I always love guys who just do one thing different than anybody else. And Jeff Skinner skates differently than anybody else when he has those little mohawk turns and um, the way he enters the zone and just kind of pivots his hip to throw guys off. And um, obviously the figure skating background plays a lot into that. So I would love to see those two guys locked up together for the next seven or eight years. That'd be super fun. Um, but it's all relative, right? Like if, if he's coming in and he wants a crazy number and he thinks he can get that on the open market, then, um, you know, maybe cost wise, you don't want to overpay and you can replace that value somewhere else. But, uh, you're certainly right. I mean, the, the chemistry that he Eichel and, and then Reinhardt there seem to have, um, is something that's been missing off that top line. And, and once you have that with someone, um, once you have that kind of sidekick to your star, I think it's, it's probably pretty important to hold on to that because then you can start to build out the rest without having to worry about what's going on up top. All right. Last Sabres question here and then we'll wind down. They started out so-so. Then they kind of caught fire. They won 10 in a row. They took the league by storm. Like I said, at the end of November, they were literally on top of the NHL standings. Uh, They've fallen off some. Actually, they've fallen off more than some since then. They're Right now, they're on the outside looking in by, I think, about three points as we tape this. Obviously, they're still very much in the thick of a playoff race coming up. How do you reject them finishing the season? Do you think when it's all said and done that this team's going to be in the postseason, or do you think they need another year? Um, I think they need another year, but I think they'll be right in the hunt till the end. Um, I think obviously the run that what was the 10 games that they went on, um, that was probably a little above who they really are and, um, cratering the way they did is probably a little bit below who they really are. I think this is, this is probably about right for them, um, on the bubble, but a few points behind teams like Columbus and, and Boston, um, who I think everybody reasonably met are better teams than Buffalo at, at this point. Um, and you know, you, I think their their underlying numbers when you look at their shot rates and um, you know their expected goal differential and stuff they've they've kind of settled out around fifty percent at this point. They were super up 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 in early November and um, then went down when they hit that lull that you mentioned. But I, I think this is is reasonable to say that this is this is who they are that they're you know maybe the eighth ninth best team in the Eastern Conference right now. Um, they have obviously a lot of pieces to build on, not just Eichel but. Um, you know, obviously guys like Darlene and, and middle set up the middle and, um, you know, they may, might have upwards of three first round picks next year, depending on the conditional that happens with the, the O'Reilly one with St. Louis. Um, so, I mean, the cupboard's going to be stocked if they draft well. Um, my, my thought actually is I, I feel like Eichel could be one of those guys. Um, and actually another person I profiled earlier this year, Nathan McKinnon strikes me as someone like this too, who, um, is going to be very pretty active and trying to lure free agents there um, because he, he understands his role kind of as the Pied Piper of this city and um, as the superstar. And, um, and is also kind of that young charismatic guy who, you know, people seem to enjoy being around. So it wouldn't surprise me if he's, he's the person who's putting in calls that, um, you know, obviously depends on how much cap space they're going to have, but uh, especially once the Skinner number comes in, but um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me that, you know, push comes shoved down the line that, uh, Eichel's picking up the phone. He's trying to bring someone in, and maybe they they land uh, you know one of those supporting cast members. But um, you know, between him and Darlene, you got your number one up the middle, and you got your number one D. So things are looking at least pretty positive trending forward. Sure. All right, we're going to end with the mini lightning round. Same thing I have with every guest. I'm just going to ask you a handful of random questions. No real deep thought required. Whatever the first thing that pops in your mind, man, that that's your answer. You good with that? Sure. All right. Favorite athlete that you've covered. 
Uh, it is recency bias at Epkin because Netsoff's pretty good. You never really know what's going to come out of his mouth. Um, I call it, I profiled Brent Burns back, I think, when people were still, it, it was like right on the cusp of his uh, perennial Norris candidacy. And um, I think he's become a little more guarded since then. But I caught him at a time when we did a photo shoot when he was willing to go barefoot in his driveway and put on this like green leprechaun suit and um, hit a Modelo can with a hockey stick just because like, that's what our photographer wanted to do. And he was totally game for it. So um, those were good. I mean, you know, I've covered like Gretzky's always willing to chat. If you have need anything for need anything from him. Um, my favorite story I've probably done has been uh, a track down as many people who are kids who are named after Shaquille O'Neal as possible. There's literally thousands of them in the country. Um, so we tracked down about 50 of them for this, where are they now story and ended up getting two of them in a room with the actual Shaquille O'Neal at one point did a photo shoot. That was super fun. Oh, that's cool. What's your favorite non-sports related activity to do? Uh, playing settlers of Catan with my friends. Favorite city to visit? For work? Just wherever. Or in general? In general. Wherever? Yeah. Uh, let's, let's say Memphis. My dad's folks live there. Okay. Do you have a favorite sports movie? Yes. But I have to think about it real quick because <laughs> I definitely, because I definitely, I definitely, definitely do. Uh, probably the Sandlot. Okay. Third last question here: If you had never got involved in journalism in any capacity, or if you tried it out and it just didn't work out for you, what do you think you may have went on to do with your life? Chef. Chef. Okay. Second last question here. If Twitter were to send you a note, and I know you're not that big of a Twitter guy, you kind of made that clear earlier, and they said, hey, Alex, we're only allowing you to follow one person now on Twitter, one person only, one person or handle. That's it. You're, that's new policy. Who would be that one Twitter handle that you would follow? My mom, because she never tweets. <laughs> All right, that's good. All right, last question here, man. Three dinner guests from any era, dead or alive, doesn't matter when, who you got? Are we to assume that we have some sort of like translation device? Sure. That I can I can talk to all these people. Yeah. Okay. Um, Siddhartha, like Gautama Buddha, the original. Um, Ida B. Wells, and I think it's my I think he's my great great grandfather, maybe great 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 grandfather, but this guy William J. Smith, who is immigrated from um, England and became a general in the Union Army despite living in Tennessee during the Civil War and was a staunch, um, like a radical reconstructionist, very, you know, pro-abolitionist and risked his life to save people of lower class. So I kind of want to like to know what life was like for him back then. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. All right. Be sure to follow Alex on Twitter at Alex underscore Pruitt. Of course, be sure to check mm, out his You don't work. need to. It's fine. It's cool. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like you might be wasting your time if you do that, but well, why not? Well, they're not wasting their time. They're like, go check out your work at SI.com. You do a great job covering the NHL. Really appreciate you having you on. Hey, thank you so much. <laughs> All right, I'm back with some more Running With Joe. Let's be indulgent here. We're big, both WWE fans, and I kind of feel like we're sort of growing our wrestling fan base here with this podcast. Let's hit on a couple things with WWE. First and foremost, 
Ronda Rousey versus Becky Lynch at WrestleMania. It's happening. It's possible that Charlotte ends up in that match somehow. I got a gut feeling, by the way, that it, when it's all said and done, that is going to end up being the case. Regardless, are you happy with Ronda Rousey against Becky Lynch at WrestleMania? And are you happy with how they got there? Um, yeah, I mean, look, Becky's the man as she has it on her shirt. She's awesome. I love her. I think what she's been doing has been great. Uh, Rhonda Monday was funny with Rhonda cause she got booed out of the building with her promo and you could tell she looked completely flustered. I don't need it, this to be a triple threat match and mania. I mean, and no disrespect to Charlotte. Like, I don't know how they're going to get to that with Charlotte being in the triple threat, but like, I would rather have Charlotte go against someone else. I don't know what they could do. Maybe do like a mixed tag, maybe Charlotte and I don't know, someone teams up against someone else. I don't know. Do, do something unique with her in that in that realm but i don't need that to be a triple threat match like i i would i'm fine with having becky versus ronda but uh overall yeah they've they've gotten into it pretty well i mean the tap out was fine people don't you know i i know when she tapped out at that at that moment i think when she tapped out to oscar i was like oh my god how are you gonna do that but like everyone already forgot you know what i mean because they because she won the rumble and then she she had a kick-ass promo against ronda on raw so, I, you know, I'm intru- I would rather have it as, a, as them two against each other. But, you know, they're going to throw they're going to shoehorn Charlotte in there somehow. And I don't know how they're going to do that because she's on a completely different brand. So we'll see what happens with that. Well, let me say this about Becky Lynch right now. OK, she calls herself the man. I don't care, man or woman. Becky Lynch is positively, undisputably the best thing going in WWE right now. And it's not even close. I'd even go as far to say that she is as over with the WWE universe right now as anyone I've seen since going back to maybe Chris Jericho in his list. I'll tell you what, actually, even beyond that, maybe even since Daniel Bryan and the Yes movement that he had going, she may be very well, in fact, more over with the fans in WWE than any female wrestler ever. And I'm including Trish Stratus and I'm including Lita Hall of Famers. As amazing as they were, as talented as they were, you know, trendsetters, they never had this kind of pop from the crowd that she's getting. There were never sold out crowds back in that day chanting for Trish Stratus or Lita while The Rock was out there or Austin or The Undertaker. It doesn't matter in today's WWE no disrespect to like Brock Lesnar or Seth Rollins or like Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles, any of those guys. They're phenomenal, pun intended there. But it doesn't matter who it is. Fans are chanting for Becky Lynch. They tried to turn her heel. The fans were not going to let it happen. They just love her too much. She's too over. And the craziest part of it all, dude, she one year ago was in the kickoff show at WrestleMania. Now she better be in the main event at WrestleMania. She has to be in the main event at WrestleMania. That's how over she has become with the crowd in just one year. There's only been a handful of times in my life, and I've been a wrestling fan literally my entire life, that I've ever seen anything like this. She's absolutely, absolutely incredible right now. Yeah, she's amazing right now. And I I do agree. I think she is the most over... Since since the Jericho list, I would say, and she's she's carried that momentum. I think it's hilarious how WWE and you know typical WWE like they did not want this to really happen in the beginning with Lynch getting over as a face like this. They 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 had it all about Charlotte yeah. versus Ronda. 
was supposed to be that collision course. And then, like, the fans didn't give a crap. They were like, screw you, we love Becky. Yeah, she was supposed to be the heel. Like I said, I mean, she turned on Charlotte Flair after she lost a match fair and square. She she beat her up after the match. That was supposed to be heel turn. Fans were having none of that. She's too over. They love her too much. It's just the way it is right now, which is cool, and I love it. Now, you did bring up Ronda Rousey. Dude, she got flustered bad on Raw. Those fans in Phoenix, they turned on her. She did not know how to handle it. Completely lost her train of thought. Started trolling the mic. She literally, and I mean literally, didn't know what to say. I've been saying it for a while now. If she comes back after WrestleMania and she sticks around, she better get a mouthpiece. She needs somebody to be able to talk because, listen, she just can't talk on the microphone. She just gets rattled too easily. I I don't know about that. Look, I think I thought her promo that she cut on, on Becky after Becky stopped her was really good. She has good delivery. She just got stupid. Like, she just got flustered. Like, she didn't know what to do. Yeah. I still think she could cut promos, and she just didn't know what to do in that case. And I've, I've read that they, as much as, yes, a Heyman, I, I would love, I'm, it's not going to happen, but I would love, like, a, a Heyman, Brock, and Ronda, like, kind of like a faction, like, together, like, you know, doing, like, the, the UFC, like, that just It would be dangerous. awesome. But they, that would be awesome. But they have always, they don't like want, I read that they don't like, they don't want Paul Heyman that close to Ronda because they, they, they're weird. They don't, even though Paul's like Brock's guy, they don't really want him close to her. I don't know why they're weird when it comes to Paul, but you know, <clears throat> excuse me. I think the weirdest thing with this whole thing is like, what's going to happen with Ronda, like going forward? Like, is she going to get booed every, every show? Yeah. I, and also I think the, the news of it leaking that she may be leaving after mania, dude, that's, that's going to completely turn her, turn her fi- bad. Like they're going to boo the crap out of her at mania, like boo her to death. If they know she's leaving after that. Well, let me ask you this. You take into consideration the momentum Wrestling fans are all about momentum, and everyone saw her getting booed out of the building last week, and her not being able to handle it well, that might carry over, so you got that. You got the rumors that she may be leaving after WrestleMania. There were initial reports that she was done with WWE after WrestleMania, but then WWE even came out with a statement, which was very rare, and said that she's under contract through 2021, so maybe she'll just end up taking some time off, but regardless, she's probably not going to be around right after WrestleMania for who knows for how long, so you take that. The fact, like I said, that she was rattled. And then, most importantly, the fact that she is going to be facing at WrestleMania literally the most over female, if not male or female wrestler in the entire business today. Her against Becky Lynch. Dude, there's not going to be a lot of Ronda Rousey fans in the house for WrestleMania. Yeah, she's. I think she's going to be booed, especially with... I think it's a perfect storm. How do you think she'll handle it, though? She didn't handle it good Monday at all in Phoenix. How do you think she's going to handle getting booed going forward? God, she's got to get better. I mean, I don't know what she's going to do. I mean, they're going to, I think they'll talk to her. Uh, but like, you know, I was listening to like Dave Meltzer on his podcast and he talked about how when Ronda was in UFC, she was very much moody. And when things didn't go her way of like how she wanted it to do, she became, you know, very disgruntled. So I don't know. I mean, and he kind of hinted to like, this could happen here. If she feels like they're booing her and she could get annoyed with creative Absolutely. and all that sort of stuff. Sure. So, yeah. So I could, I, I, I mean, she's going to have to like get over it. Cause look, she's going against Becky. Who's more over right now than she is. So she's going to have to get ready, ready for the booze. 
You know what I mean? So, and I don't think I don't. I, I mean, it's just it's just hilarious wrestling, man. Like you know, like we just talked about. Like they got they try to get Becky as a super heel. They said f you. Then they try to get Ronda now as like the super smiley baby face, and like they're gonna shit on that probably at Mania. It's just it's just unreal. Like it zigs and zags all the time wrestling. Sure does. Next week when we talk WWE, we'll focus a little more on the men's side. We'll start talking about the Seth Rollins Brock Lesnar angle. That's something I really like a lot. We'll talk about. Dean Ambrose, who reportedly is leaving the company. Good job, dude. Good job as always. Give Joe a follow on Twitter at Buffalo Wins. All right, man, what do you got? Hit us off. What's your finisher? Uh, I was going to do Dean Ambrose, and then you told me we're going to talk about him next week. So I'll just do this. T- uh, talk about I'm him ex- now, then. No, no, screw you. Let's. I'm. I'm re- I want to talk about AEW, the All Elite Wrestling thing. I am not independent guy. Like I've I've gone to a few independent shows. So maybe that makes me an independent guy, but I only go to them because. A few of them are close to my apartment, but I am very looking forward to what their little wrestling federation is going to do. They got money with uh, the Jaguars owner's son, that con guy. They got Jericho there now. And I think WWE is going to, they could be in in shit right now. And I think that's why some of their guys are leaving because they see greener pastures over there. And you and I, if there's one thing that we have done since we've done this podcast and even on Twitter prior to this podcast, we are constantly complaining about WWE career creative and i think those wrestlers see that and i think having another option a legit option since that hasn't happened since wcw is going to change the landscape That is a wrap for this episode. By the way, credit to me. I'm a hero. I've been sick as a dog for the past few days. Coughing, sneezing, ceasing to the point that my rib cage is literally sore. But like the true hero I am, I pulled through. I got out of bed and I put this podcast together. Just absolutely heroic. Couldn't do it all by myself, though. So special thanks, Alex Pruitt from Sports Illustrated for coming on. That was a fun chat. Thanks as well to my man, Joe. The Running With Joe. Always a good time doing that with him. Guys, if you haven't done so already, I invite you to subscribe to this podcast. It's quick. It's easy. It's completely free. The benefit to subscribing is that you get new episodes automatically within minutes of them being released. You get them before anyone else, literally. And I have a show every Tuesday and Friday. You'll get it immediately. If you have an iPhone or an iPad, all you got to do to subscribe, just whip it out, open up that Apple Podcast app, type in Analytics Podcast under search, hit the subscribe button, bam, your work's all done. That's all you got to do. Subscribe, rate, review, all that fun stuff helps me out. I really appreciate you. And by the way, if iPhones or iPads, if they're not your thing, or if you prefer to get your podcast elsewhere, you can also hit us up on Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter for updates, news, takes, God knows what else. You could do that at Pamoran Tweets. Have a good weekend, everyone. If you live up north, please, please, please stay safe and warm. I'll have another show on Tuesday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.